Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. So instead of starting out with a sponsor message, I, I want to tell you right now about a big event that this podcast is involved with. It's called the Hey Amarillo Beer Fest, and it's a celebration of the local craft beer scene. On Saturday, August 3rd at Starlight Ranch Event Center, we are hosting Pondicetta, Six Car, The Big Texan Brewery, Long Wooden Spoon, and a bunch of Texas craft beer lines. The doors open at 5 p.m., and for 30 bucks, you'll be able to sample beers from all of those different providers. You can talk to the local brewmasters. You can hang out with other fans of craft beer. We'll even get out awards like Best Stout or Best IPA and your choice for the best local brewery. And for your 30 bucks admission, you also get a concert that evening with opener Fine and Dandy, which you know is a friend of this podcast, and Fastlane, an Eagles tribute band with a national reputation for flawless reproductions of your favorite Eagles songs. All of that stuff is included in your admission to the Hey Amarillo Beer Fest on August 3rd. So you can get tickets and learn more at bit.ly slash Amarillo Beer Fest. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Amarillo Beer Fest. And if you want to sponsor a booth at the event with all the people that are going to be there, let me know. Today's guest is Jenny Inzarillo. So here's a fun story. Back in 2015, I get this random, unprompted email from Jenny who's explaining to me that she had just arrived in the Texas Panhandle, that she was a copywriter and a freelance writer by trade, and, well, because that's also what I do, she was just wondering what it was like. What was the market like for writers in Amarillo? I replied to her because, I mean, she's a writer. It was a really, really strongly written email, and it caught my attention. And Jenny and I emailed back and forth for a couple of weeks, and before I knew it, she had found a job. Now, it wasn't a writing job. But she had landed at HPPR as the host of High Plains Morning, which is one of the only live music programs remaining in the Texas Panhandle and beyond that. Jenny's a lot of fun, and and as a relative newcomer to Amarillo and Canyon, she's been here four years now, she offers a really interesting perspective on life here. So I wanted to talk to her. Here's Jenny Inzarillo. Jenny Inzarillo, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Oh, hey. Amarillo? Yeah. Hey, Inzarillo. Um, <laughs> so I, we've got plenty of things to talk about. I want to talk about uh, HPPR and your show and all that stuff. But of course, the first thing I like to do with all of my guests is to ask them how they ended up here. And I know you've got a story. So tell me what brought you to the Texas Panhandle. Well, I hitched my wagon to an English professor, the worst wagon you can hitch anything to. And so you just go where those jobs go. So I am very, very lucky that my husband got a job as an English professor, and that was at West Texas A&M. And we came down here for that. And we moved down here, and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm a copywriter. I'm sure I'll find something. And I looked, and there was one ad agency and no openings. So I just decided I would paint a 14 by 8 foot mural on my kitchen wall without asking and ride my bike to Paladero Canyon back and forth and just take it all in and unpack slowly our 1500 books and just volunteer for a while and freelance for some places that I already had connections with in other cities. So it was pretty chill. Uh, We ain't got no kids, so we ain't ain't got much overhead. I just kind of uh, floated for a while, told the public radio station, hey, I'm an ad copywriter if you need any help. Donated to the local places that you donate when you move to a new place, make the friends, find the arts people, and uh, just kind of settled in. And once I once I got a call back from High Plains Public Radio, it was like, hey, we do need help. We're always looking for help. So I said, all right, what do you need? And so they, I helped them out with a little bit of copy. When it was uh, Brandy Roberts who used to work there, she was just this young woman just managing four jobs, Mm -hmm. you know, with no resources. So I was happy to meet her and I met the crew because they had a a table at uh, the Louise Daniels luncheon. So this was one of my early entrees. And it's like, oh, wow, this is like this wonderful, like strong panhandle women kind of place. Really great way to like get into the culture of the arts and the women who support it here. And pretty soon, what do you know, Mike Fuller all of a sudden is gone. And I'd only been listening to his show, Unpacking Every Box We Had, for about a month before he kind of was just gone. Okay. So I didn't get much of a flavor. I got enough. I mean, I've listened to public radio in every place I've ever lived and since like middle school. But I just was, you know, just kind of got a little bit of a flavor for it. And so that job opened up and I was like, no way. Like, come on. 
but I'm a copywriter, so I'm a hustler. So I wrote like a pretty good cover letter that started out, I'm utterly unqualified for this job, Mm -hmm. however, and then I proceeded to just hustle hard on how I would do a good job at it. And I got an interview, and I think I blew their hair back because I showed up with four pages, and it took a while to make a decision, but they did hire me. I had already taken a job at AmeriCorps because I figured... $900 a month is more than $0 a month. And why not do something positive in in the realm of, you know, a kind of a refugee crisis. But I was only there a month before I got this job. And I just had to tell them, I'm so sorry. Let me know if I can continue volunteering. And I should Uh, say, you you do write a really good cover letter. Because one of the first things you did when you arrived here is you, I don't know how you found me, but you located me yeah, as, you know, one of the copywriters living here and sent me a letter and said, hey, I'm, I'm here are there any good jobs? But it was such a well-written letter. Like, I get a lot of people asking me about uh, how did you become a writer and what do you do and how can I do that? Yours was the best, like, that I've received. Oh, and thanks. I read it and I thought, this is someone who actually knows what she's doing. Um, and I, I started looking for ways to get you work. And then it wasn't long before you landed here. So yeah. I, I stopped that process. Sorry. Yeah. That's I didn't okay. find you a great copywriting job. That's okay. I, I now I'm just kind of like... Portraits and paintings and copywriting help and cover letters and resumes, it's like friends only. I mean, you know, if, if you know how to write in any capacity, you're just the guy with the truck forever. Right. But, I'll fix it. you know, it's it's 2019, so I'm basically to the point now where, you know, we have interns here now, and I kind of take that very seriously, and I was like, do not send anyone anything without putting it into Microsoft Word. Guess who didn't have Microsoft Word? Me. Yeah. You know, you do learn you do learn the basics and the cheats uh, in order to write something without any errors in it. But you do have to practice to finesse it. Tell me what you were doing before you arrived here. Like, where where did you grow up? I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. And it's not Missouri in Kansas City. It's Missouri. I just, you know, grew up in Gladstone. My dad was a union electrician, so I'm union all the way. Um, my mom stayed at home with us till we got old enough to get out of her hair. And just grew up in the woods, man. Just tons and tons of trees. Uh, we were just little garbage children in you know, a grody suburb of Kansas City. But we did grow up outside. We grew up, you know, just with other kids in the neighborhood. So I am very grateful for that because I see a lot of my friends' kids now. And you have to make a concerted effort to get them outdoors. So I do feel like that is something that linked me when I moved down here because the the people down here, like, man, the young people and people that are, you know, of our age now that are just – they grew up outside. They care about the land. They care about everything related to just like wildlife. They know about these things, conservation and stuff. Right before we moved down here, um, my husband graduated. He had his PhD. He got a, um, again, you have to go where the jobs are. He got a job offer, really nice one actually, but it was only a one-year postdoc in St. Louis. So we moved there uh, from Chicago after he had graduated. And it was interesting because I was going to just hang out in Chicago and hoard more cash and he had already moved down there and started his position. And turns out five days after he moved down there, um, Michael Brown was shot. So okay. I just saw that from Chicago, you know, working at this, uh, you know, industrial supply catalog and a giant jumbotron of a TV that's in the weird Aramark cafeteria. We're all sitting there eating our 30 cent subsidized uh, Starbucks. And I see this and everybody goes, oh, no, because they knew I was going to be moving and I was like, ooh. So when I moved down there, I just kind of was like, dude, I'm just going to volunteer this year. This is just, this is bad. And St. Louis feels like Kansas City. They're very similar towns, mm-hmm. um, very segregated, lots of blight and lots of, lots of need for the kids. Um, and so I found an after-school program on the north side and just volunteered full-time. So we ended up, my husband and I had been together, what, like 15 years at that point. And so I was like, hey, we should just get married. I need to be on your insurance. So we did that. I just worked up there for a year. I just freelanced, um, brought in a little bit of cash, and just full-time volunteered for these kids that, man, that's their lunch and their dinner, you know? Yeah. And I don't know how to do anything. I've got zero qualifications to be a teacher, but hey, Google integers. I'll figure it out. So that's what we did. And the kids were absolutely incredible. It's just it's just one of those things where you're like, man, if you guys can get through this to age like seventh grade and still be fully functioning individuals, you can like 
blow through anything that anybody that I grew up, you know, can do. So we just tried to encourage them. And I did art classes with them. We just like made, I just made stuff up. But they were, they were just great. And so I really loved working with kids. And when I was in Chicago, I lived in Chicago before we moved to St. Louis for like 13, 14 years. Worked with kids on the South Side there through a program called Minds Matter, which is basically they put two professional dorks onto a high-functioning, uh, achieving kid from a failing Southside school. So two different tiger moms who just like right up your butt, just like, okay, yeah. what are you doing? Let's do a summer program. Let's do this. Let's work on this. So you work with them on writing. You work with them on public speaking. Um, and you were just there as their mentor and advocate. And I'm still in touch with my girl. You know, We got her a Gates Millennium Scholarship. Oh, cool. She went to Smith College. And she moved back to Chicago. She's currently selling tickets at uh, Art Institute of Chicago. But you know what? She doesn't live with her ratchet family. Yeah, and that yeah. is a success. Yeah, I, I'm interested. I mean, obviously, you've had a really diverse career. You know, volunteering with kids doesn't necessarily translate to show on HPPR. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to hear a little bit about sort of that culture shock of going from Chicago, St. Louis, even Kansas City to Canyon, Texas and Amarillo, Texas. What did it feel like once you sort of landed here and got your feet on the ground and started to figure out this culture? It took a while. I only now feel it'll be four years in August that we would have been here. And I only feel like in the last eight months that I kind of am like kind of settling in. And it's weird if you haven't lived in multiple cities to describe what that feels like, but it's like you're cool with it kind of thing rather than constantly seeking and looking looking over your shoulder to see who else to talk to and see where else maybe you can go. Now, we don't really ever operate that way simply because, you know, my husband's career is very, very much based in you go where the job is and yeah. you're very lucky to have a job as an English professor. It's just too bad. The state of the humanities in higher ed but for anybody that's not quite aware, everyone just assumes, oh, English professor, oh, professor at a university. Oh, you must make like 150000 Now, you don't make very much at all. There are 700 applicants for any slightly decent job. And one of the reasons is because every job that opens up, they're giving it to adjuncts where they don't have to pay your benefits. Right. They don't have to do much of anything. They don't have to guarantee a full-time wage. Uh, these are people that bust their humps for their students, and they just don't. They're not able to do it anymore. There are certain pieces of higher ed that are just spinning a little bit out of control, and English, languages, all of those humanities are certainly one of them. And there's nothing more important. I mean, honestly, communication and studying the human condition and understanding an argument, understanding critical thinking, I can't think of anything more important. And right now it feels very undervalued. Yeah. So I basically am one of those people where I'm like, Let's go. I'll figure it out. I'm, I've got a job that's very much, um, I can do it from wherever. And I also am kind of a weasel and I can talk my way into anything. So I'll work at Arby's. I don't care. I got the meats. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So yeah, that's you, how we're down here. You said it, it took until maybe the last eight months or so before you really felt at home. What, what do you feel like, what was the tipping point that kind of made you feel like, okay, I do understand this place or I do maybe fit in in a way that I didn't until eight months ago. Do you know what that was? Can you identify I don't. That? I think it was just one of those things like, what is it, tragedy plus, plus time equals yeah. comedy? I don't know what it was. I think it was just a matter of enough time goes by and you just quit. You get into a groove and you just get kind of like more comfortable. So having been at the station long enough that I've done the annual things that I do multiple times, you just don't have the fear. You don't have the anxiety about it. But also... You just kind of just, I don't know, There's it's really hard to describe. I think with here, a lot of it has to do with this the landscape. There's something about the land here, and we all know it feels a little spooky and haunted and just kind of grabs you from your ankles and drags you down into it. Just, you know, you just, you just feel more comfortable. It feels more like home. It feels a little bit more like a hug. But when I moved here, I was so captivated by it because it was so different. I'd only ever driven through western Kansas a couple times. Yeah. That's the only thing I could liken it to. And I still tell people like, oh, where do you live? I say South, South Kansas. Huh. Because that's, you know, it's so much more like Kansas than it is the rest of Texas, um, landscape wise. And it's just, there's something about the beauty that you get to see on a regular basis. I mean, every sunset and every sunrise, just, it's just come on. And I got it much better with like uh, not having as many trees around. And when I go back home, it's kind of like, you, re you do feel that kind of weird yeah, longing. Yeah. Your chemistry, 
reaches out for it a little bit. And in the that, same way, somebody who like me who's grown up here and I go someplace where I'm surrounded by trees, you feel a little more peace when you get to where you can see the full horizon and yes. you're not surrounded all the time. You feel loomed upon. You do, yeah. Yeah. I've that's Shira Hammonds mentioned that in one of her poems when she went to grad school in Vermont. She felt like right. it was just nerve wracking. It feels like, you know, anxiety inducing. But down here, it just felt a little more like getting into a bit of a groove with the work, knowing that, you know, this is something that we're making little strides. We're getting more and more artists that have us on the map. We're getting more and more uh, music, you know, given to us so that, that the High Plains morning, three hours of music, which spreads out across five states, the quality is higher. The interest, you know, people are more responsive. So I'm hearing, yeah, I actually like this, you know, really strange stuff that you're playing it's just throwing it out there. And it's it's a weird job because you're talking into this microphone in a room with no one. And you're talking to potentially 35,000 strangers that are never going to tell you whether or not they like it or not. Right. What do I know? Yeah, you know, let's... as a copywriter, all I'm doing here is trying to reflect back what the previous music directors kind of had as the show. And I mean all the way back 40 years. What is the show? What is it always going to be? What should it always be? Folk, Americana, singer-songwriter... What does that mean in 2019? Oh, so different. There's so many different. There's anybody who doesn't know what's going on with music. My goodness. There's such this incredible rich amount of music coming out right now. But nobody plays it. It plays zero percent on commercial radio. So I feel the weight of that, not just to promote those artists for the artist's sake and to get their message out and their their music. You know, it's like my way to be an English professor. Let's share this poetry but because the people who listen to High Plains Public Radio are just the coolest people. They're just it's such a big region and we're unlike any other station that we have we have this one thing in common and it's this station. It's having access to NPR, it's having access to regionally curated music that is hand selected by someone who's just doing their best. But I get emails and it's like, "Hey, what was that blah blah blah, you know? Never heard that John Denver song." Little stuff like that is like chumming the waters for me. I'm like, thank you. I thought it was kind of a fart, but I'm glad you liked it. Because what do I know, you know? Tell me about that process, because you you mentioned that Mike Fuller disappeared. You know, he didn't really disappear. He's still alive. He absolutely didn't. He's He's currently a show on the station. Right, right. And he he had done that, you know, for several years, had sort of developed maybe the feel of his own show. And then you come in to kind of take over. Tell me about the process of trying to please the audience he had built, but then also put your own spin on it. Did you feel like, ooh, I need to be real slow in this transition? Or did you feel like it was just yours to create? It was so um, confusing because he was gone. There wasn't a transition where he was here training me. We're just a small, you know, we're like a station that covers a big, big region. And we've only got like, you know, at any given time, like eight to 12 people. Right. And those people are all doing five things. Those people are four hours away, except for it was just me and one other person at the time. And that person was never in the office. Right. Radio is really weird these days in that it's It's weird. It's spread out. Mm -hmm. Everybody's bootstrapping everything. Mm -hmm. But we're like the last of the we're like the last of the, you know, terrestrial public radio and community radio is the last. We're just hanging on by our quick of our nails. But I just can't think of anything more rewarding and more indicative of driving through this region. Just say you're just from driving through, getting a flavor of it by tuning into the station and hearing what it is. Most importantly, I think, is our regional news that we do. But three hours of music in the morning, I mean, it's nine to noon. Most people have jobs. Most people cannot listen to this show. And when I listen to it, I listen to it nonstop because I was just unpacking boxes. We just moved here. And so I listened to a solid full month, the final month okay. um, that Mike had his show on. I have no idea if he was rerunning stuff and just getting getting everything ready to move on to his next gig. But I could tell, oh, he's very much more of a singer-songwriter. There was stuff I recognized, stuff I didn't. But when I took it over, it was just kind of given to me. It's like, well, every music director does their own thing. And I'm, I just was like, what do these people want to hear? Yeah. So I looked at the old playlist. I looked at what he was playing. I pulled up things that were there. One thing I've done since I've been here is built up a lot of relationships with the labels. Mike had a ton of them, but I've kind of like expanded that on ones where it's like, oh, here's this. These people are doing experimental folk out of this town. And these people are doing very, very high plain style folk out of Oklahoma. And let's make sure we're representing these one offs that are just randos that play house concerts in Wichita. You do have to do a little bit of a deep dive on that. And so I've built that up a little bit that gave me some more fodder 
Um, and his oeuvre was, I mean, he's a singer-songwriter himself. Right. He knows a lot about music, so he didn't have to blink. So just looking at his playlist was very helpful to know what people were expecting. But then eventually you get to the point where you're like, okay, well, I don't know, maybe. And if you're not getting feedback, you never know what. And I remember one time I was playing, I mean, it was a little hairy at the beginning because it was like, what do you, what do I play? I think I played Mariah Carey at one point, man. I didn't know what to play. I'd, Classic I, Texas Panhandle. Folk. What do I got? What do I got? Playing like, you know, kind of noodly psych rock, you know, and which I still absolutely play. But you got to know how to mix it in and whip in yeah. the berries um, to make the rat muffin. I'd, I'd like to get an idea. I mean, just because a lot of listeners, even if they listen to your show, they don't have any idea about how it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, with a top 20 radio station, they're just recycling the same songs, you know, every told. hour. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. And somebody tells them, this is what we want you to play. You've got so much more freedom. Mm-hmm. Is it like every day you build a three-hour playlist for tomorrow? Are you like tracking stuff on a spreadsheet (laughs) to see if you played it last month or last Tuesday? Or I mean, how are you trying to maintain diversity while also maintaining like sort of a signature feel to it? So having functional OCD helps. Okay. Um, The way I organize it, and I can't deal with any kind of like weird overlap or clutter So the way I do it is I've got two computers here, both of which have an archive program of my entire music library, which I maintain by requesting CDs, uploading CDs. Once they're done, they go up to the DJs in Kansas, all of whom are very manual and CD are bust. They don't like normally doing from digital unless it's their own file. So the way I work is I work specifically from our drive our you know music archive that I've built up that is also built on the shoulders of all the previous DJs. I'll request CDs. Like for instance, yes, you have to constantly keep up with what's releasing. You have to look at the newsletters. You have to look at Twitter. You have to look at uh, the folk DJ charts. You have to look at the national, you know, NACC charts. Who are the, who's got a new album out? Blah, blah, blah. How else are you going to know? Bruce Springsteen's got a new one. They don't send us the stuff, okay? You have to request you have to ask it. For it. You have to ask for it. Even if you have a relationship, a good relationship with one of the labels, they might not send you everything. So I'm to the point now where to request something, I've got it very turnkey. I just send a little tweet to them and I get it pretty quickly. Sometimes, you know, two months later, but I'll get it in when I get it in. So normal NACC charts, like uh, that's like, you know, public radio that has more than one person doing eight things and or college radio. What they'll do is an album will release and it'll say, going for ads, July 3rd, and they'll send it to you a month before. Dude, I've got a crate back here of unopened stuff from a month and a half ago. I will not be bullied by it. I'll get to it when I get to it. I have so many other things to do. So what I do is I maintain my left computer. I do six song sets approximately, mixed in all kind of new-ish music. And that's where I put all my new stuff. So when I rip something, it goes there. Over here on the right computer, that's where I kind of keep my older stuff. And I use that mainly from the archive. So I'll do a set of like six new-ish things. And then I'll go over here and do older things. I got some Emmylou Harris, some, you know, Harry Nilsson. Singer-songwriters, people really enjoy. Right. Really fun to play deep cuts. If the if you'd hear it on any other station, we don't normally play it unless it's requested. It's just fun to go deep into this weird, obscure stuff of artists that you definitely know or don't really know because they're kind of weird and hard to play on radio. We have that freedom. And you, but you have to have a balance between those Absolutely. because some people are listening because they do know that every once in a while you'll play Amy Lou Harris or yes. Indigo Girls or something that yes. kind of hits their buttons, mm-hmm. but you also want to introduce new stuff to them. Yes, but you can't do all one or the other. Right. And Emmy Lou and Indigo Girls are still putting out stuff. So, you yeah, know, you yeah. have to request it. So it's nice to be like, here's some old stuff. Here's some new stuff. So I try to just kind of like play a mix. And also men and women, it is really easy to look down and go, oh, I didn't even plan this. And I have got a 12, 14 solid block of just dudes. And there's so many women that play. But for some reason, they just don't get as much exposure. So I am very cognizant of trying to make sure I have kind of an equal balance. Um, of that new and old male female regional international global I like playing a lot of global music the coolest thing is that the people who listen seem to really appreciate everything I try not to I try to avoid certain things that I think just don't work with the show just the overarching like definition of what the show is nothing too like noodly Chicago blues nothing Mm -hmm. too heavy and you know you can get away with it a little bit once in a while. Sometimes I'll have a song and I'll be like, where is this going? Full disclosure, don't listen to all this, all of the ends yeah. of the song sometimes. 
But that's kind of the main thing is to give a nice platform for the new artists because, man, they're working their tail off and ain't nobody playing them. That also lets us be aware. So if I have somebody say, hey, I saw that you played my song on Twitter because I'll, you know, link them and they'll say, I'm coming through Amarillo. That's how we book these living room concerts. That's how we book in studios. And the in studios are my favorite because that's a free concert for everyone across the High Plains. Right. In tiny little, you know, one stop light towns that don't get the access. Here they are. They're getting a serenade by someone who's talking directly to them. So I kind of put a lot of stock in trying to play music that's not only good, not only that works for the station and for the listeners. I want it to be something where, hey, let's learn something about who's playing music right now. And if they have a cool message, if they've got a really unique sound, uh, oh, this kind of person sounds a little bit like this. If I notice something, I'll go, oh, that chord progression kind of sounded like this particular song. I'll play it afterwards and put little Easter eggs in there and stuff. But yeah, I move the I move the playlist along all the time. I usually have a, cl- a giant running playlist on the left and right, and I retool it every single day. I retool it throughout the show, you can tell. Okay. There are times where I'm like, oh, well, that didn't transition, did yeah. it? Um, and then same thing with the older stuff. And just every six minutes at the top of the hour, I've got six minutes to screw around and mess with it. But because we log all of our music so that if you're looking on your computer and you have headphones in, it'll pop up with the artwork and who you're listening to. It's in real time. So you know exactly what's coming up. And you've got, you know, just because of the nature of of your show and everything, like you're not submitting everything to like some higher authority to say, is it okay if I play all these songs? I mean, it's, it's just whatever you want to play. There's no authority. Yeah, there is. Now that could be, that could be a problem sometimes. Uh, In the beginning, uh, no one knew what to tell me. Yeah. You know, Dale was my, you know, he's been at the station like 20 years. He knew it backwards and forwards. You can't tell someone how to do it. And for instance, like I played, like I remember I played a Neil Diamond song and he was like, ugh. And I was like, well, wait, what do you like? And he's like, I'm not telling you. And it's like, you know, he's like a Steely Dan head and stuff. I was like, I like Steely Dan, but lay off the diamond. You know, it's, it's all to taste. You can't really say anything there are songs that i play that i'm just like yee you know that are not my style at all and i'll get a phone call what was that song about you know and it's like people love it and i go okay well that's good to know you know and as a copywriter you're just trying to give the people what they want you know and it's like we just try to keep it moving if something gets a little funky Wait five minutes. Did you have any radio experience before this? No, not in front of the Other mic. Other than like listening to radio. Not in front of the mic. Okay. I was an ad producer. So okay. what I would do is I worked at a small ad agency in Kansas City for two and a half years while I had graduated and waiting for Ryan to graduate with his undergrad degrees. I was the one who wrote the ad, like wrote a 60 second radio spot, cast it. Went to the radio station, had them recorded, okay. and or went into the sound studio, had them recorded. So you had a little bit of experience with the technology, I guess. And, I never and, touched anything. Okay. I'd go, all right, Sharon, that sounded great. Can I get a little more energy? Right. On, you know, and I would give the direction and things like that. And if we didn't have any money for talent, if they spent all the money on the radio, like media buy, they'd put me in the booth and I'd have to say things like, Lillian's fine jewelry. Yeah. Because life's too short for ordinary jewelry. You've done that before. That's still running. My mom calls me, I heard your commercial. I was like, they owe me $40,000. It's been running for like since 2000. Those royalties are just rolling in, right? Yeah. It's funny. But so, no, not at all in front of the mic. Not at all. Give me an idea of, uh, you, you touched on this briefly, but the value of public radio sort of in this region. I mean, I, I know it's a little bit different here in Amarillo than in, say, the one-stoplight towns that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. But what does it provide that's different from, say, these big corporate radio stations that, you know, may have a DJ that you might think, if you're driving down Polk Street, is an Amarillo DJ, but really it's somebody in Idaho, you know? Mm -hmm. Tell me about the value of you being here and producing music for this region, listened to by people in this region. Well, not to diss on the commercial DJs, because they just doing their job. Exactly. But they are definitely directed by a large conglomerated, you know, media company that tells them, here's our... High, medium, and low rotation. And you have to play X amount of songs from this list in this hour, blah, blah, blah. So DJs really don't get normally too much leeway. They can play a couple songs that they chose. That's not uncommon in larger public radio stations, too. When I went and visited KEXP in Seattle, which is an affiliate with University of Washington, it's also got so much money just because it's Seattle. They have volunteer DJs, but they've got a music director that looks at all the music and says, here's our high, medium, and low. And if you're a volunteer DJ or if you're a paid DJ, you have to follow that. So that's what they're trying to – they're like, okay, we're going to spotlight and promote these particular artists. 
X percent of them are from the Seattle area. X percent of them are trying to, you know, trend on this particular chart. And we happen to think that Seattle will like them, blah, blah, blah. Right. It is like the flatlands here. We can play on High Plains Public Radio, our DJs, all of the regional DJs, full reign. And while my title is music director, I would never try to direct anything beyond my show. We've got regional DJs like Brother T-Bone, who's been here like like two and a half decades playing the blues on Friday night. He knows what his, you know, he knows yeah. what he's doing. Steven Johnson doing open range, which is just absolutely bananas. Like you can go from like, I heard him playing like Cher doing um, ABBA and then some, and then he goes into like was not was. It's just, it is wildly oscillating. To me, zoom out and you're just getting a snapshot of how weird the high planes are. And that is what I think public radio does. It widens the telescope on where you are. If you're driving through, which most people are driving through, a lot of people are driving through and they hear us, you get a little taste of the flavor. And it's shocking because there are times where I'm driving through someplace and I don't know where I'm at. You find the public radio station. You're like, what? Or the community radio station or the college radio station. And you get this weird little snapshot that's just like just a concentrated dropper of one particular human being of this region that, that maybe isn't representative of anything but exists on the air because the people are into it. And that's kind of nice. So you can get a taste of what's going on. So somebody driving through the high plains is going to hear some experimental, you know, jazz percussion from Chicago and like, what, what? Yeah. It's not all contemporary country. It's, um, it's all over the place. Wait five minutes. You'll hear George Jones. Wait another five. You'll hear, you know, Molly and blues. So I think that's important to people on the high plains because The people that are here are so different. They're so open-minded. It's flat. It's so flat. You can see everywhere. There's, you know, it really does. It's like there are no barriers. And I do feel like the landscape does inform people's ability to really take in and appreciate such a wide variety. I want to dig into that a little bit and and ask a personal question. I, I know that when a lot of people arrive here, especially when you're coming from maybe a larger city, St. Louis or Chicago, and you think, oh, Canyon, Texas, or Mm -hmm. Amarillo, Texas, you're going to come in with some preconceived ideas. What are some of the ways that maybe those ideas that you came in with were wrong? Were were there things that surprised you once you got here and started to understand better the people who who live here? Well, I don't know that I had very many preconceived notions. There wasn't a whole heck of a lot of it on the internet. (laughs) I mean, honestly, you look it up and you're like, huh, okay. I remember just looking at downtown Amarillo and looking around, it looked very brown. Mm-hmm. You know, looking around the historic district, it looked very it looked very interesting. I recognized a lot of similar architecture. It's to supposed Kansas to have City. a lot to do uh, related to Kansas City yes. architecturally. We were kind of sister cities back in the yes. early 1900s. But when I got down here, it was like, I didn't know much. There wasn't much to know. And because you moved to a college town, you were immediately kind of, you know, embraced by the academia, none of whom, very few of whom rather, are from this region. Right. A lot of transplants there too. Yeah. So you don't, it's like, oh, you're from here, you're from here. So you don't really feel like you're getting a taste for it until you really just jump out and start talking to other people. So in Canyon, not much, not much. The the students, Ryan got a taste for the students, my husband, you know, teaching. It's like, oh, these are kids who worked on ranches. These are kids who are really hardworking. They all have jobs. Um, so it's almost like this, the university where he worked was very much felt like, you know, like a community college from like the Midwest. But it felt very Midwestern in that people are hardworking. They're very kind. It didn't feel alienating in any way. I, one One thing that was... My last name's different than my husband. That was one thing where people are like, you know, oh, is this Professor Inzarello? And it's like, no, it is not. Yeah. And, you know, little things like that where it was like, you know, no one bats an eye about that. It's like, look, do I have to explain? My name's Cooler. If what? his name was Cooler, I would have taken it. And Ryan's joke is Jenny's fighting the patriarchy by taking her father's name. There were a lot of preconceived things because there wasn't a lot to conceive. So when I got down here, it did definitely feel like, whoa, okay, this is interesting. This is very different. I did notice immediately everyone is so nice. Everyone's so nice. Everyone's so involved in charity. Everyone's so involved in um, community outreach, helping each other genuinely. And a lot of the things you read about it are like people are, you know, small minded. People are very, very conservative. People don't really um, break with break with church if the church and it's like disagree. That's not what I've seen since being down here. I've noticed, you know, and again, it's volunteer work, you know, 
people who are copywriters feel so gross about what we do because all we're doing is using our creativity to sell other people. Don't, don't tell anybody that's what we do. Okay. But, but you know, we're liars for, well, liar okay. for hire. Liar for hire. So you feel kind of gross and dirty about, like, I'm going to use my creativity to sell people's things, and we don't even get paid that much. So a lot of people that work in advertising and marketing try to, like, buy their soul back by doing, you know, charity work. So I had done that quite a bit, you know, ever since graduating. So when I got down here, the culture of charity, the culture of outreach, the culture of, you know, neighborly pursuits. I felt very, I felt very welcome. It's, I mean, that's, this is a good place. If you're interested in nonprofit work, mm-hmm. you can find it here. Yeah. I, what was there, like 3,000 nonprofits in Amarillo? An How? absurd number. How? Yeah. It's insane. But that's, that's something that I found very quickly. Yeah. I don't know. It, it definitely, it definitely felt different. It felt different, but not once did I ever feel outside looking in kind of thing. You do feel a little bit of trepidation, for instance, when giant Confederate flags go down. That's something that creeps me out, personally. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me in any way, shape, or form. Rightly so. It has nothing to do with, you know, people defend it. I've talked to people. I've talked to the Sons of Liberty. Uh, it's it's indefensible. You do the do the, do the the history, that kind of stuff. But it's not a big thing. And, and indeed, the Klan started in Illinois. You know, it's like it's yeah. kind of it's it's not anything that I ever notice and is never in the foreground. Everything else eclipses anything negative. So that I don't know. That's what I would say. There wasn't much to read about it. But I do. Th- I did. When I first looked here, I did see a lot about like, get out people that were younger that wanted to leave. Right. And that's not surprising. That's any small town. And this is kind of a big small town. And a lot of those people who do leave end up finding their way back. You know, I, I yeah. hear all the time those kinds of stories. And honestly, in the last four years where when I've been here, I feel like it's in a successive trajectory upwards of getting cooler. You yeah. know, yeah, not just because it's looking more like a bigger town, just because people are kind of chilling out and talking to each other in a great way. Music's getting better. People are going out more. Things that are on community calendars are extremely varied and frequent. So I do feel like that to me just feels like there's there's been a fire lit under the arts even more in the last four years. And it was pretty crazy when I moved here. This episode of Hey Amarillo is sponsored by Kara Hendricks, financial advisor with Edward Jones. I wish I had started saving for retirement a lot earlier than I did, like in my early 20s instead of my late 20s. That five years makes a huge difference. And so if you're like me, if you're ready to start planning for the future, talk to Kara. She specializes in high-quality, tailored investments for investors of all ages, of all financial means, and she works to treat clients like she would want to be treated. To get started, call Kara Hendricks at 806-358-8346 today. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. This episode is also sponsored by SKP Creative. Now, a lot of business owners start their businesses and they just assume they can handle social media because most of us are using Facebook or Instagram anyway. I mean, how hard can it really be? Well, here's the truth. It's hard. If you need help with social media, and and if you're in business, you probably do, you can talk to the team at SKP Creative. They develop data-driven communication strategies to help your business grow and thrive. So visit skpcreative.com today to learn more and schedule a free social media evaluation for your business. SKP Creative, make it happen. Okay, I'm back with Jenny Anzarillo of High Plains Public Radio. Jenny, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. So I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. As my guest, your job is to answer those questions. These are a lot of the same questions that I ask of every guest uh, so let's see where you land. The first one, though, is, is one that I've sort of put together just for you uh, based on your career. Do you think Amarillo is a music town? I do. I think it's a music town. Um, there are so many venues. Some of them are very specific to certain genres. So if you're not into that genre, you probably are not going to go to it. But there are many. In addition to that, we have a um, pretty rich community concert and house concert roster. Like, for instance, every summer, there's a brochure that's put out that has, oh, just eyeballing it, 30 shows that are happening over the summer. She is actually unfolding the brochure and showing it to me as we talk. You can probably hear it on the mic. It's a very literal brochure. So, yeah. So, Center City, which is just, like, historical district, they put together all of the different live music options you can have here that you can just go to 
any given day of the week. It's crazy. High Plains Public Radio also has a concert series. There's the Chamber Music Amarillo. There's the Symphony. There's the Amarillo Opera. You've also got Harrington String Quartet. You've got both WT and uh, AC's incredible performance. There's a lot. Plus all of the churches. My goodness, throw a rock. So it's not just all like, you know, country. It's not just all folk. There are so many different places. And I have to beat them off with a stick because yeah. we, ha- we host a lot of concerts. But I they're all community-based. We do them out of our blood, sweat, and tears, and we get no money for them because we want that money to go to the artists so they can keep eating food and writing poetry so we have something to play and it's not just a silent hiss. So I do think it's a, I do think it's a very, very rich town for music. I think there are a lot of people creating music that doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of venues. There's a weird experimental noise music contingent. There's some, there's some really interesting side projects within other kind of indie rockish kind of bands that are happening that are always constantly moving. There are people that gig almost, you know, three, four nights a week that have full-time jobs. So I've never met a place like that at all that has that much music. um, That's this size. It's just, we're only 200,000 people per capita. We've got a lot of guitars here. You probably, I'm, I'm assuming that you end up getting asked a lot by people you knew before you moved here, what in the world is Amarillo like? What, what do you tell them when you're describing where you live to people outside this area? This is a question that is interesting because I've, I've kind of developed this probably within the first year to try to describe it because people are, what's it like? When do you get to leave? Are you okay? I mean, you're a copywriter. You can like craft a message here. Well, right? I, I kind of tried to distill it. And my thing was, if someone asks me, what, what's it like where you live? I say... You know how when you feel something crawling on you and you look and it's not there, but you still feel it crawling? Well, here it's always there. That's what I say. We got a lot of spiders. That, that's, I'm going to leave it at that. And I mean that. You don't want to unpack that at all. What, I don't. What I'm going to leave that right there where it's at. And I'm going to say it's not just literal. It is metaphoric, too. It's always there. There's okay. always something to crawl in there. Everybody reflect on that. Yes. Give us your interpretations later. <laughs> What's your favorite local restaurant? Ooh, I get the most excited when I find out someone will agree to go to El Manantial. Okay. And I was vegan for like 14 years, so I'm still weirded out by any kind of meat product. But they have this dish that's an appetizer that's just chopped up chunks of avocado and ceviche, like shrimp, that's just been cooked with lemon juice, which I think only warlocks can do. And you just sit there and you just slowly eat it. And I just, I don't know, I feel so rich and weird and Mediterranean. I don't know. It's just the strange, it makes you feel like you're tripping or something. It's so you know, It's not a Mediterranean restaurant. I know. It's, it's pretty authentic Mexican food. But there's, some, there's something, I've never been to Mexico, but I've been to the Canary Islands and it okay. made me feel like it was you like- felt like that. I feel like I'm an Enya album when I'm eating that dish. So everything there is so good. I just, I just love it. They have this stuff called agua fresca. It's basically a thing that I'm mad that I have to be in my early 40s to have had in my face. This does. I lived in Chicago. I yeah. lived in like Logan Square. You should have encountered it before. Ain't nobody given me aqua fresca before. Um, and it was basically, they have three different flavors, all of which are better than the last, that you could just go on a full rotation. They have Jamaica, which is hibiscus, which tastes like little cr- cranberry. They've got cantaloupe, which you don't think you want to drink a cantaloupe. Yes, you do. Yes, you absolutely do. And pineapple. And you just sit there and they're like, do you want more? And it's like free refills. This is this has to stop. You guys are doing something incorrectly. You need to be charging for this. Yeah, it's really good. I feel like I'm at the carnival or something. Okay, what does this area have too much of? White trucks. Okay. Every truck. Every truck is white. You're you're right. There are (laughs) an abnormal number of white vehicles here. Uh Why? Why is that? Is there like a is there a safety thing related? I think it's because it's hot. Okay. And it's because you're a fool if you have a Prius. That's how I feel. Because every every road I go on, even even in Canyon with like the, you know, bricks, mm-hmm. like my undercarriage hits the ground. Uh, you have to have a truck here. You're driving across some bumpy stuff. You know, you go out into a Canyon, you go out into, you know, any kind of like off-roading type thing. And there are tons of, you know, places that have kind of ranch roads. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Good luck with your Prius. What does this area not have enough of? Recycling centers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really I I try really hard. I don't I don't want to I don't want to throw anything away. So, I'm the person who's folding up and ripping the envelope with the little window and putting the rest of the paper on one and I'm I, I'm dropping not giving off up your hope. plastic at Walmart. 
or Target? Well, we do, we do, we do a pickup. We have a pickup. So every two weeks they'll pick it up. But I also do everything from here because, you know, we don't have a recycling service here at at work. So I'm the person schlepping out every single thing. But bless my coworkers. They are working with me and I'm digging things out of trash cans less and less. It's great. Okay. (laughs) Do you own a pair of cowboy boots yet? I do. And I've owned a pair of cowboy boots since I'm going to go, I think it's probably 2008. Okay. And even though I was vegan at the time and I owned no leather and I didn't really wear leather, it was just one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I saw them. I have really gigantic feet. Were you like, in Chicago at the time? I was I was living in Chicago, but I was visiting my friend in Los Angeles. Okay. So he was at work. I was just kind of putzing around town and I was like, oh, here's this thrift store called Out of the Closet. And they had it was their men's size. They're like men's nine or something like nine and a half. I have an 11 and a half women's shoe. Good luck finding any That's kind of sizable. shoe. It's basically if I want a women's a vaguely female shoe, I just have to go to the drag queen contingent. And I saw this pair of really pretty kind of ox bloody, dark red brown, pretty shiny and very, very cheap, especially for L.A. cowboy boots. And they felt great. And I didn't have anything like them. They were used. All of the proceeds go to AIDS research. I mean, it's out of the closet. I was like, I'm just getting them. So I just got them. I just got them. So I've had those for a while. But since moving to Amarillo, I found a pair of used Justins at Thrift City Mm -hmm. that are pretty rad. They are very posery because I was told they're too shiny. But everything about me. You need to drag them behind your white truck a little bit. I think you're right. But uh, and then I have a pair of boots that uh, my husband's granddaddy Brooks uh, in Jasper, Georgia, had custom made. And they didn't fit them right. And Ryan is like, I'm not wearing those. <laughs> so they look like little smoked Gouda cheddar cheese blocks. But they're technically cowboy boots. <laughs> uh, so I have three, currently three pair of what I would consider cowboy boots. Okay, that's that's legit. <laughs> Seriously legit. That's more than, than most guests. I've got four, five bolo ties now. Thanks okay. to, uh, yeah, I got a bolo tie at the... Uh, at the Golden Nail Awards, I told someone I liked it, and he handed it to me. That's another thing about this place. That's an Amarillo thing. You compliment someone, you go, oh, you like it? Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep complimenting people. Um, what's your favorite local coffee shop? I would say this is, a, this is a dead heat between Palace and Evocation, and here's why. Palace, I love sitting and working there. It's the it's a really great place to work. Yeah. And I've worked in a lot of coffee shops. It's really great. Everyone's very respectful and quiet. And even if there's a conversation, it's kind of like it's got good frequency to it. It's like it vibrates well. Because there's so, a lot of other people working there. I mean, that, that's kind there of the There are lots of people especially. working there. But it just smells good and everybody's in a good mood. It's just it's got a good vibe. And I also absolutely love that they have a huge community calendar bulletin board at every location. And they've got like four locations now. So I love them. And then they also support the arts like crazy. So you you go in there and and charity. So you can go in there and get like one of those, you know, lattes where money goes goes to things. So that always is a good feeling. And then Evocation, I actually really love their coffee. It's a smaller place to work. But when I used to have a big project, that was the place that I kind of would go because there were fewer people. And I'm very, I'm very like distractible. I think it's a dead heat. They, They both are like exactly where I want to be at different times. Okay. Last question in this series. When was the last time you ate at the Big Texan? You've got the boots now and you've got the bolo ties. So have you like done the full cowboy experience? I'm going to answer your question with a question. When's the last time anyone came to visit me? Every visitor, I go to the Big Texan. Okay. It is a 100%. I'm sorry. You have to go there. So when when somebody from out of town comes, that's your stop? It is. It, it has what I feel is an exact, it's like an exaggerated expectation of what this area is. It has a couple of extremely un-PC, deeply offensive things happening. It has extremely good uh, beer. They absolutely know how to cook a plank of salmon. I think it's great. It's a bit of a spectacle. It's big and open plain, so it feels very like folksy and when you're there on an evening they've got the live music Mm -hmm. which I always get really freaked out by because I don't like like uncomfortable eye contact but these dudes are like old timers I mean half of them were like knew someone that was in the Texas Playboy so you just can't get mad at it and then of course the gift shop I mean give me a break anybody coming to visit if you want to get something about this area just get the shotgun shell like shot glass or something like that it's a fun place to go and uh, people freak out when they see those limos with the longhorns on the front (laughs) So it's kind of like a feels like a caricature of this place. So it's fun to show them that. Yeah. Because it's right by the airport and then go into the actual. 
and that's you know guts of the town. Bobby Lee has admitted that's on purpose. I mean, yes. he knows that people want yes. to see that spectacle of the Give wild west. Give the people West, what they you know? want. Uh, that concludes the eight straight. Jenny, I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something. So, what's something related to this area that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Something that struck me when I moved here, and I saw it the very first day that I was here. We arrived, we unpacked with U Hauls, my friend who is a mover. We just hustled till the sun was about to go down, and we said, let's go to the Paladoro Canyon for the sunset. And so we hustled. We put some booze in a, in a toot and totem thing and just like went out and just went to the canyon and we're just going to sit there and just watch the sunset in this new weird place where we were after coming all the way, you know, from uh, from Tulsa. We broke up the St. Louis Drive from Tulsa. And so we get out there and we're just watching this uh, sunset and we're kind of driving deeper into the canyon. And you go a little bit past the Hackberry Camp, I think, and it's on the left and there's like a bathroom and it says Lone Star Interpretive Theater. Yes. You can't see it from too well from just the road, and it doesn't really look like much. It looks like maybe it's just the bathroom there. Little sign right in front. There's an interpretive center, but you got to go past that. It's the interpretive theater. So we get out, and we kind of poke around. Sun's really setting at this point. And you see this little facade. You see this little theater in the round kind of place that looks like it's straight out of a weird David Lynch, like, you know, vignette. And you're like, excuse me? What's this? It was so beautiful. It's got this backdrop of the canyon, and it just looks like such a special place, even though you're just standing there looking around and going, huh, somebody built this. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought that was a very enchanted place, and I highly endorse going out there. If anybody wanted to book an event, man, I don't know if you've talked to the people at Paladero Canyon, but they are princes and princesses. They're incredible human beings. They're very generous with their space. We have an event once a year out there and it's a kids outreach thing. We invite like, you know, Amarillo Children's Home and other kid outreach things. And we just have like nature walk with the master naturalists of Texas. And then when we get back, we do art stations. And soon as the sun starts setting, we have some music and it's just the coolest night. You see tarantulas, you see this canopy of, I think they're dragonflies and they're just eating every single mosquito you could possibly get. And there's something really enchanted about it. So I highly endorse going to the Paladero Canyon at sunset and seeing that Jenny Anzarillo, thank you so much for being on Hamarillo Podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Jenny for the interview and HPPR for hosting us. We recorded it in an actual radio booth, uh, so it felt super official. also want to say thanks to Kara Hendricks and SKP Creative for sponsoring the show. You can listen to Jenny every weekday from 9 a.m. to noon on HPPR. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing the show every week and to Hey Amarillo's team of supporters and executive producers. These include Daniel Davis, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Neil Nossiman, Wilson Lemieux, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, Jennifer Callahan, Katie Linger, Patrick Burns, and Criselda. You can support the show, too, at patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of this episode. And if you're interested in the Beer Fest on August 3rd, go grab your tickets. I hope to see you out there. My name is Jason Boyette. And I'll see you next week.